Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, our old friends, our 2018 presenting sponsor. I went there last week, and they have a view in the office of the Pacific Ocean. That's all you need to know about how successful ZipRecruiter has been. 80% of employers supposed to job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. They're powerful technology. Your job that dozens, dozens of the web's leading job boards that identifies the right people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. My listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event. For things like, I don't know, March Madness, you know what to do. Use promo code BS. Use it this week for college hoops. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Find.com this week. We have a one-and-done Coach Calipari bracket that people are getting a kick out of today on a Monday. We have uh, the One Shining podcast. They were there last night cranking it out. I'm so proud of Mark Titus. You know, the naysayers said Mark Titus couldn't tape a podcast on a Sunday night and then write a column about March Madness at the brackets. People didn't believe he was like a plus 280 to pull it off, but he did it. And he broke down everything that's happening in Madness, all the upset specials, all the storylines, everything. Subscribe to One Shining Podcast now. You can win your bracket. Why wouldn't you want to win your bracket? You lose every year to people who don't even know about college basketball like me. Um, so check that out. Check out TheRinger.com all week. We are going to be covering college hoops uh, deep dive. Not only on, on podcasts and on uh, columns, but on Instagram as well, at the uh, at Ringer. Um, and don't forget, one sh- uh, against all odds, Cousin Sal, they're blowing out a little March Madness thing on Wednesday. So all that's coming up. I know this sounds weird. I'm on the phone. Listen, blame, blame, uh, blame my car. I had to bring my car and I had to do some stuff. But uh, we have some good stuff coming up for you. There's a great Bill Hader podcast that I taped at South by Southwest. I also want to talk a little about some of the stuff that happened in sports this weekend. But first, here we go, Pearl Jim. All right, taking this on a Monday. I apologize for the connection. Weirdly, it's probably the best I can do with um, with this. But coming up, we're going to have a little bit of a Bill Hader. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've had him on. I think this is probably like the fourth or fifth time. I did make him do James Gum. I feel like I have to do that every time we're together. But we talked about his new show, which is called Barry, which premieres on HBO, I think, two weekends from now. And uh, I really liked it, which which we dove into on the podcast. I thought it was really cool and really different. I went to South by Southwest this weekend. It, I think this was like my fifth or sixth time that I've been there. And, uh, it's just always amazing how, how big that thing has, has ballooned. And I'm actually mad. We didn't do more ringer stuff there. We had, we had a, a ringer basketball panel on Friday with Shea Serrano and Chris Ryan and Julia Lidman and Kurt Goldsberry, our old Grantland friend. And, uh, and like 200 people were there. And then we did the hater thing and, and 
people couldn't get in. And it just next year we're going to bring a whole bunch of ringer people there and we're going to do it right. But it's, it's really cool. I, I was there before it really blew up. And then I was there when it blew up and they didn't really know what to do with how big it had gotten. And now they, they have a pretty good handle on it. Really well run. Uh, Uber and Lyft and all that stuff has helped people have been able to be able to get around and do all the stuff they need to do. Sean Fantasy, I think he's seen like nine or ten movies in uh in like three days. It's it's got a little bit of everything. It's got panels, clips. So it it was a really cool place. I I like that it's blown up and it's hit the part where it's uh it's like not cool to say that South by Southwest is cool anymore. There's like backlash to it, but then it's actually cool when you go. So I'm glad I went. And what was interesting about flying back yesterday was the Tiger Woods thing was happening, and um. I was on Delta, and somehow we have not perfected the whole direct TV, putting it on airplanes. I think there's a lot of, personally, I think there's a lot of chicanery going on with what these uh, airplanes can pretend they can and can't do. The Wi-Fi is still bad. Um, we still can't get satellite when we're on this. So anyway, I couldn't watch the Tiger Woods thing. And yet I was watching it because I was on Twitter. Um and I, of course, I, I had a movie on in the background. So, what better choice than Fast Five, which I had, hadn't seen in a good six to eight months, and uh, really spectacular. I, I can't believe how good Fast Five is. I really think I'd say in the conversation for best action movie of all time, it's just completely satisfying. But I had Fast Five on because I like when I'm on an airplane. I like to watch stuff that I, I've already seen, so I'm not I'm not like too absorbed by it. And then I'm just watching the tiger thing unfold on Twitter. And what was cool was you could, between the ringer slack and Twitter, I could, I really had a handle of what was going on. I just couldn't see it. But then on Twitter, people would put up the gifts of the miss putt or whatever shot. So I did feel like I was belatedly following it. So when it got to like the 17th and, uh, and he had like a long putt and I was like, Oh man, he's done. And then all of a sudden my Twitter timeline lights up with all these people getting excited about it. And then the GIF is on in, in like two minutes later, and I got to watch the 43-footer with this choppy GIF on an airplane, and I was just I was just pumped. And the point of this story is there's really nobody like this anymore that, that we all kind of want to succeed in sports. Tate, are you there? Yes. Is there any other athlete that has kind of a unanimous, I want that guy to do well? I, I don't feel like in basketball this exists. certainly doesn't exist in football. It's just nothing. It's really just Tiger. Maybe Michael Phelps. Oh yeah, I guess you're right at the Olympics. But that, that yeah, you so know, you're right. In, oh. in the major sports, yeah. I mean, it, it was amazing how many people were jumping back on the Tiger thing. And uh, honestly, I really thought that he was going to make that putt on 18 and chase it, you know, to the cup like it was the old days. I'm so sad he didn't. We got we got the Masters coming up in four weeks, which randomly I'm going to for the first time ever, and I'm bringing my dad, and it's his bucket list of all time thing that he wants to do now that every Boston team has won the title and was not expecting there was going to be this whole Tiger, <laughs> this crazy Tiger Woods wrinkle. And now I'm sure it's going to be like the, you know, the hottest masters event of the decade. Like who, who's not behind him. Plus he was playing well and really like just missing putts that if he had made three of them, he wins the tournament and it's not like they were hard putts either. So that's amazing. And then we have madness coming up. The NBA season is, is closer to the finish line than it 
than it feels like it usually is when madness comes. It feels like we're in a really nice sports stretch. Push the, uh, the NFL draft stuff, too. I like this stretch we're in right now. Kate, you and Titus did uh, did the madness uh, preview yesterday, Sunday night. And now what's the schedule for this week? Uh, well, we got the first four games, which are in Dayton, which are on Tuesday. The most interesting game there is probably Arizona State, a team, the last undefeated team in the country in college basketball this season that fell off the face of the planet. Um, they're playing Syracuse and Jim Beheim Tuesday night uh, in Dayton. And then uh, St. Bonaventures plays UCLA also in Dayton. And then the other two games are... So that, the, yeah, that'll are be a good games. one, right? Yeah, those are those are two Bonnie good games. UCLA is a nice one. I, You know, my wife is a Bonnie crowd, so I've been, I've been monitoring. And... Uh, I think that's a nice matchup for them. What, what, why should they be as scared of UCLA? I think St. Bonaventure is going to be the favorite in that game, I, w- I, would, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you right now, Tate, it turns out, <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but you can gamble on some of these games. Mm, mm. Did you know this? Yes, I heard yeah, about this. Yeah, they have spreads, spreads and everything. And, of course, uh, see, the problem is you go on these online sites and they have all the – Tournament games because there's all these other tournaments now. Oh, there you go, St. Bonaventure. No, you So I would take the Bonnies. Then we got Bayheim versus Arizona State, and the other one, which is tremendous. So Tuesday night's actually a fun night of TV. All of a sudden, not usually the case. Not at all. But we get Bob Hurley coached against Jim Bayheim. That's fun to tune into. We actually uh, Titus and I talked about this, but uh, Oklahoma. You know they get in the tournament. Trey Young gets in the tournament. Your your chosen son, Trey Young. Um, we were saying yeah. we were saying that guys like you know Trey Young, uh, if they really want to make the first four matter, these Tuesday games, put in the most interesting team. So Arizona State should have played Oklahoma. You know in the, in this first round in Dayton because they need to play yeah. themselves in the tournament anyway. Um, so people would have really watched if it was Trey Young if it was Tuesday. Well, Trey Young hasn't. Really looked like Trey Young in about six weeks, and it'll be interesting if he can turn it back on. I'm I'm still a believer. I just think you know the the combination of the way defenses were playing him and um, just all the hype and all that stuff. You could see him cave a little bit, but I, I could see him turning it back on. The most fun thing that happened this week, which I know you guys covered on your pod, was Colin Sexton, a guy that we had been eye eyeballing for a while as somebody that seemed at least a little bit special and really seemed like a good teammate and played basketball the right way. Maybe his team wasn't that great. And then he had kind of his breakout moment, pulled them into the tournament. And uh, Titus has been kind of clamoring for this year's Kemba Walker. There really wasn't the candidate. And now it's like Colin Sexton's like, the perfect candidate, right? He is the perfect candidate. Unfortunately, he got a really bad draw. They have a 8-9 game. Yeah. They're, they're in the East region, so they play Virginia Tech in the first round. Uh, Buzz Williams has been, uh, you know, done a great job with this Virginia Tech team, and Virginia Tech kind of got screwed out of the ACC tournament uh, against Notre Dame. There was uh, some questionable calls down the stretch with Matt Farrell doing some uh, dramatics, uh, you know, flopping out of bounds and leading to a technical against Chris Clark. So Virginia Tech has a little bit of redemption, and they face Alabama. And then if Alabama, you know, and Sexton are able to get past Buzz Williams, then they have Villanova in the second round, which is uh, a lot of people think Villanova is the best team in the country. So uh, that's a tough draw for Colin Sexton. Well, Villanova and Virginia are the two favorites right now, five to one. Who did you like for kind of mid-range sleepers? We did this a couple weeks ago on my podcast, and you guys nailed the Michigan thing, and they ended up winning the Big Ten tournament. Is there anybody in that twenty to thirty to one range that you guys are targeting? Kentucky's twenty-eight to one, by the way. 
Kentucky's 28 to 1. We, we talked about that on your pod, I guess, last Friday when we came on. I think the problem with Kentucky is, again, they got a, they got a bad draw. I mean, they got the hottest team, the hottest mid, mid-major team. And uh, it's hard to even say Davidson's a mid-major team with Bob McKillop there. Bob McKillop, you know, is one of the best coaches in basketball at any level. Uh, they face Kentucky in the first round. They have this guy, Kellen Grady, uh, number 31 on Davidson. He's, he grew up Steph Curry's, like, he, he was a fanboy for Steph Curry, wanted to be Steph Curry when he grew up. And now he's a, you know, a 6'5 shooting guard playing for Davidson and uh, does the things like Curry. So that's a really bad matchup for Kentucky in the first round, um, which scares me about yeah. them. Uh, and, and some other teams, I don't really know exactly the odds. I don't have them in front of me, but just some some teams to watch out for. That's Mich- a good thing. No, yeah. that, that's good. I'm glad you don't know the odds. Give me a couple <laughs> teams. I'll say the odds. Okay. Uh, North Carolina, I know you're going to think that that's a biased pick, but North Carolina, uh, they got a great draw in this West region. Xavier is the fourth yeah. one seed. Um, they're going to be out in L.A. Carolina's been out in the L.A. bracket before um, when they lost to Wisconsin and Frank Kaminsky uh, in 2015. And then you look there, Michigan's had two weeks off. We, we liked Michigan going into the Big Ten tournament, but you know they went to overtime with Iowa in that tournament. Um, you know they they had some they had some tough games that uh, I think people have kind of washed away just because they won the Big Ten tournament. So I mean yeah. I, I guess it's a sleeper pick, but I, I'm still uh, a little concerned about them um, in the Midwest region. Uh, Wait, hold on. Yeah, Car- Carolina's eighteen to one. Eighteen to one. So are they in LA this weekend or next weekend? It w- it would be next weekend. So it'll be for the actual regional. The regional is out in LA for the West region. So if your team can win two games. Your team's coming to see you in Los Angeles, is what you're telling us. Yes, at Staples Center. When do we start the campaign to get Tate Frazier tickets behind the UNC bench <laughs> get on TV? We, we'll start that next week. Maybe Seeky will help us. Please, please, we need that. I, I need to be there. And, and, right. and Mark Titus, his team is also, they also have a chance to be out in L.A. Ohio State's the five seed in the West. So if Ohio State wins two games, uh, granted they have to play Gonzaga if they if, if they beat South Dakota State, which I'm not sure they can beat the Jackrabbits. Um, but if they win two games, they will also be out in L.A. So it could be Mark Titus, Tate Frazier, extravaganza out in L.A. So you guys could play, potentially. You guys could go head-to-head. In the Elite Eight, yes, in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Wow. Thank you, committee. That could split the podcast up. Yes. You guys might never be the same. Yes. <laughs> well, this is the dividing if that line. happens... If that happens, the three of us are going, and uh, and I'm gonna just Instagram story the whole thing as you guys eventually fight to the death, and then whoever wins the fight gets the podcast, and the other one just dies. Did you um, did you watch the what, selection show? By the way, the new selection no, show. No, because I was on an airplane, oh, but that's I, right. I saw people. You know, it's really interesting how Titus did a good job of skewering it today. A lot of people did, but it's really interesting when they overthink things. When it's like, this is such a simple idea. It's just like, hey, here's the bracket show. Here are the brackets. And this team's playing this team. It's like, you can't screw that up. It's impossible. The only way you can screw that up is by not giving people the brackets on a bracket show and confusing them and enraging them and making them wait to see. You know, I just don't understand the logic. I know they have to, you know, they can drag the ads along if they they drag the show along, but to just make people like really violently unhappy seems like a bad game plan, right? It seemed like they tried to make it an event, you know, by having a crowd there. They tried to make it as if it was a game or a part of the NCAA tournament atmosphere and experience, which makes no sense. But why? I have no idea. <laughs> no it's one logical. It's like you already have the show. It's it's it would be like if they just changed the Oscars next year. Like, all right, before we get to these five things, let's go over the nominees for another hour and a half like 
put the put the brackets up. It's and especially like in 2018, where when you screw up that stupidly, it's just so you just get you just get it dragged, you know. And it just why who was in the room who looked around and said, "No, nah, this would be fine. People will be fine with this." And obviously not. People went nuts. They'll never do that again. I don't. Think. I don't think so, I but can't I, imagine. I think they were trying to do it for a general audience. You know, they were trying to do it for you know people don't really care that diehard fans may care about the bracket, but you know, general audience just wants to see the teams that are in. So they treated us like we were stupid, and uh, you know, <laughs> this is what came out. It was it was really bad. In 2018, when you treat people like they're stupid, <laughs> it doesn't it work doesn't out. go well. No. It's just there's no, there's no track record whatsoever of it going well. So that was uh, that was dumb. So so we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday after we figure out these uh, these playing games. Which I was against the playing games, but now now that there's actually a couple of good games, I'm 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 uh, a little more warm to them. But um, is there is there a day? There's always Thursday or Friday. One of those days is the good day, and one of those days is the bad day. Which day would you say is going to be the good day? I think it's Thursday this year. I uh, got Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, a uh, bunch of big matchups. Davidson, Kentucky's a big game. Uh, it's the first day of game, so tune in on Thursday. I'm excited. When's the next One Shining Podcast? One Shining Podcast. We're doing a bracket tomorrow uh, where we're picking all the games. Um, Kenny and Charles Barkley couldn't agree on any games. They just put question marks. So Titus and I may have that same issue. So who knows if we can give you any clarity. We may just put question marks and exclamation points and you know other things like that uh, on our bracket. But um, yeah, we're doing that tomorrow. And then we're doing a podcast after uh, Tuesday to preview all the games uh, and to make picks and try to help out with uh, you know the general fan. And then you know Cousin Sal is going to call us on Tuesday night. So it'll be a, a full day of podcasting tomorrow. And then Tuesday night, Cousin Sal... We'll get into the gambler's perspective, give out odds, give out some long shots. NC State is a long shot I love. Um, Rhode Island is a team I really love, um, not to win the title, but to maybe make some noise, get some upsets. Um, so we'll give out all that stuff on Cousin Sal's podcast tomorrow night, too. And I know at least one of the three trifecta guys will be diving into the women's tournament <laughs> with, some, with some thoughts. There's just no question. Yes. It would seem like the greater inefficiency would be the women's tournament because they're so so fewer people who actually know what the hell's going on with women's basketball that that's when you exploit, you know, and, and with college hoops, everybody is targeting the same. This, this team looks good. Their bracket's easy. Their bracket's hard, which is why every year there's so many upsets and people go, Oh my God, my bracket's done already. But the women, you really might get, you really may be able to get some, some value. All right. One shot podcast this week. Um, this is why we created this podcast for, for these next couple of weeks. Hopefully you guys survive the uh, Ohio State, North Carolina blood fight. Uh, coming up, we're going to do the Bill Hader podcast from South by Southwest. Here's this live podcast that we did with Bill Hader. It was in front of about 125 people in a room at the, uh, at the very awesome box setup on Saturday. And then we had like 300 people in an accompanying room. Uh, in a big bar watching it on TV. So it was fun. Um, he's somebody that I think the first time he came on my podcast was 2009. And it was even before he had done Stefan. And his he was taken off on SNL, but not totally. And then by the next couple of times he would come on, his career had, had gone up a couple of matches. So, yeah, almost 10 years of podcast with Bill Hader at this point. Here we go. 
from Austin, Texas, Saturday. Bill Hader. How are you? Hello. You look like... Wow, that's right. You look like you haven't slept in a couple days. Man, okay, so last night we had the premiere of the show, and I don't really drink, and then someone was like, here are the thing, it's called Electric Jellyfish, it's this great beer, and I had like 20 of them, and I got (laughs) super trashed, and then had to get up at 9 a.m. and do a bunch of... uh, No, I had to start doing uh, interviews at 9 a.m., and then Amy Gravitt, who's like the head of comedy at HBO, called me and was like, let's go have breakfast tacos. Mm. So I did that. <laughs> and Austin is great. <laughs> I just... So yesterday was emotional for you because the show you've been working on for a while. Yeah. That was the first time you had shown it to an audience, Barry. Yeah, yeah. At that's... the Alamo Draft House, which yeah. is one of the greatest ideas I've ever seen for anything. Like, they just bring you beer and popcorn nonstop. It's I like a it. movie nerd's dream. Yeah. Like, I don't have to go nowhere. They bring the beer to me. <laughs> I watch my Godzilla movie. and Yeah, no, it was great. And... um yeah, it's yeah, it's it is it's like uh it's not nerve-wracking or anything. It's just kind of like you do that and then that lifts the uh embargo on reviews. Right. Which I didn't know about. So it's like it's aired and then I'm sitting there with HBO and they go, "Oh, Hollywood Reporter review just came in. Oh, Variety review just came in." And then I was like, "You're like, what they say?" <laughs> <laughs> I just got drunk. The, when you're listening to the audience reactions for stuff like that, what are you listening to? I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh, you don't, weren't even in there. No, I don't go. I just go, oh, okay, you guys have fun. Because for some reason... But you I, were there. I was there, but I left. <laughs> and and uh, I, we inter- introduced it, and then Alec Berg, who I co-created with, he stayed, but I leave. And uh, I don't like... What'd you to, get, like to an alley? Yeah, I just stood in an alley. <laughs> Just by myself, just like the ending of Blair Witch, just staring at the wall. Uh, so you come back and they and tell you they, how it went. And they come back and I go, and they go, yeah, 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 but they're laughing. You know, it was very Larry David-like reaction. It was like, yeah, 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 I mean, you know what? I mean, it was a comedy, you know, they, they liked it. <laughs> People were laughing throughout. It's a really different show. And when I read about it, I was a little worried because we've known each other for a long time and yeah. I like you. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of ambitious. I loved it. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, because Bill he's showed up, there. which was the nicest thing in the world. <laughs> I wanted where that to see it. I was excited. He came out. And he was like, "That was great." And I went, "Oh, you showed up to the thing. That's so sweet." It's about this kind of tortured hitman who basically has not a midlife crisis because he's younger, but all of a sudden has this life crisis and just the world. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but he just, he's like a he's like a depressed. He's a former Marine who now works as like a hitman, and he's unhappy in his life. And he, he travels to L.A. to kill a guy, and he tails him to his uh, acting class in the Valley, which is run by Henry Winkler. So, needless to say, I'm in. Like with and, just that sentence, I and was... then he decides he sees all these kind of. It's kind of like a version of like Travis Bickle meets the William Money character and Unforgiven, like taxi driver, Unforgiven guy <laughs> meets the people from Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. And like that's his salvation. But the the violence in it's very brutal and kind of real. Um, so yeah, it's a tonal, it's a tonal tightrope in a way. Yeah. When I started to, we became friendly 
early part of this decade. I was always interested. You were like a super movie nerd and kind of fell into this ass backwards getting into SNL. Like you were, you were basically trying to, you were like a lot of people out here that are in LA that move, move there and they think I'm going to direct a movie someday. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be that. That's what I wanted to do is write and direct movies. So give them the 35 second, this is how I ended up from there to all of a sudden I'm on the cast of oh, SNL. 35 seconds and go. Uh, I moved to LA and I was a PA and then I was an assistant editor and I worked on a bunch of movies and then I uh, was trying to make movies and I didn't and then I ended up... Uh, this is great. Uh, I was at Second City LA taking a class, something to do, and Megan Mullally from Will & Grace saw me in the class because Nick Offerman, she's married to him, his brother Matt Offerman's my friend. We were in a group together. And she said, you should, I, I just, she called me the next week and went, I had dinner with Lauren Michaels and I told him about you. And I ended up getting SNL. <laughs> but, that, but that's literally what happened. That is what happened, yeah. It's Megan like Mullally changed two years. my life. She was, yeah, and then now I'm, I'm getting to do the thing I wanted to do initially. I mean, it's just a very weird, circuitous thing. My favorite of all those jobs you had, didn't weren't you on Playboy Night Calls at one yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, I worked on Playboy Night Calls. Do you guys, you can admit it. Do you know that show? <laughs> this guy, one dude's like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Night Calls, the Playboy channel was a show with these two women that gave sex advice. Yeah, and guys like, would call in and they'd start having sex with their girlfriend. I mean, it was... It was, it was very needless weird. to say, not a show that could have been on network TV, I don't think. Yeah, and so my job was uh, I would go get coffee for the porn stars. Yeah. And that was funny. Where I was like, I have an order for Candy, Candy, Cindy, <laughs> Stormy, whatever, you know, like, all the names on the cups. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, I would be sitting there and someone would call in with like a, a fantasy and the guy would come over, the, he's like, hey, Bill, can you get, you know, uh, Cindy and whoever ready? And I was like, hey, guys, um, so uh, you guys are going to be having sex together. <laughs> um, so just go out there and do whatever they ask you to do. Uh, I think it's some sort of cowgirl thing. So get ready. I'm Bill. I'm the new PA. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Can I get you a water? Can I get you guys a water? Maybe after, maybe after a shower. Okay. But it was sad, you know? I mean, in all seriousness, it is that Boogie Nights thing where it was, it was a bit like, you know, uh, you know, it was a bit sad, you know? Well, one of the reasons I like Barry so much is it's set in this part of L.A. that I've always been fascinated by. It's not anywhere near where I live, but it's, yeah. it's the valley, but it's like kind of deep valley. Yeah. Um, a lot of like actors working as waiters and waitresses and bartenders and like there's scenes in the in the show where like the acting class goes and get beers and that's kind of this whole area of LA. Yeah, this area that's like strip malls and it's it's the it's like the opposite of La La Land. It's not yeah. going on the lot and, and and dancing and stuff. It's it's more kind of the valley that me and my friends knew when we grew up, you know, right. or when we moved there in 99, it was, we all lived like in, you know, North Hollywood, Valley Village, like all these areas. And, uh, and all your friends were struggling, you know, uh, filmmakers and actors. And Swingers was like the first one that really tapped into that. Yeah, that was like the Los Feliz thing. Yeah. And the, those shirts. And people, <laughs> those everybody, shirts. Had, everybody had their own car and low jack. 
Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> we thought those guys were douchey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we thought, like, oh, those guys are doing the, not the guys in the movie, but the guys who were trying to do swingers. We thought were like, come on. Like, let's go to the Dresden. It's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? What made you stand out in the 03, 04, or 05 range from, like, a comedy standpoint where Megan Mullally would tell Lorne Michaels? I don't know. Impressions I, it, or what? No, it was just doing voices, and uh, I didn't do impressions until my SNL audition. Like, I, hadn't, I had never really done it before, and so I was sitting there kind of just... It was an improv show, and she happened to come on a night. If she had come on Saturday instead of Sunday, I, my and I got in that call because on Sunday I just was hot. Like, it just worked. You know, an improv show, one night's terrible and the other night's great because you're improvising it. And she just happened to be there on a night where I was really funny. And thank God. And we're, what, what would you rank the ratio of people happy for you that you got the call that you worked oh, with versus, most, like, bitter and resentful? Oh, no. Most people were happy. I mean, we had to do the show for Lauren Michaels in New York. And so we had to go with my, my, my three friends, and they knew that they weren't going to get a job out of this, but they went to support me, which was really cool. Oh. And um, one of those guys is Mel Cowan, who actually went to school out here. Now he's a teacher at UCB, and they, they were just the best. Yeah, I mean, when I did my last show the next morning, I called all those guys and I was like, thank you so much again. Like, I just finished SNL or eight years. Yeah, eight but years of it. You guys, like, you guys, that was so cool that you guys did that. It was so meaningful, you know, so it was cool. There's two types of people on SNL, the type that they just love it and they soak it in, and then the type who are just stressed out the entire time about yeah, I was stressed the week out leading the up, time. and you were in yeah. that camp. Yeah, yeah, I did not, and I wasn't like, yeah, some friends, some people on there just were so laid back, you know? Like, my Rudolph could just be having a conversation with you, and then they'd be like, and hey, we're on, and she would just, you know, do a thing, and then cut, and then she'd be like, so anyway, boy, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and I would be shaking, one time I was Ryan Seacrest, uh, and uh, and I was having to do uh, American Idol, and and I'm it was a cold open. Yeah, it was a Mary Catherine Gallagher cold open where Molly Shannon came back to host, and she came out in the cold open, and I was Ryan Seacrest, and I, I was shaking. I started shaking. I was looking at the crown, and I'm just like, oh god, I have to open the show, and uh, my Rudolph just right when the show started, she just put her finger up my ass. <laughs> She just grabbed my ass and went like this, and I went like that, right as they were going to countdown. Just, it was sweet. It was like, it was nice. It was just like, relax. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And there I go. And then I was out of my head, you know? It was, so that was a good thing, the old finger up the ass. <laughs> good note for the future cast members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, if things are going bad, yeah, little... put your finger up her ass. When did, you, <laughs> when did you shake off the fear that you were just going to get the call from Lauren that you were um, done? Uh, like Seth halfway Rog- in? Yeah, it was my season four. As uh, Seth Rogen hosted, and I remember at the after party, Lauren came up to me and said, you can work here as long as you want. Oh. And he was like, like relax. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got the job. You just need to relax, man. I was like, oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. Because I would be pacing around, going over, and I still do it. I mean, I, I'm hosting next week. I'm going to be doing it next week. I'm going to be walking around, you know, going over my stuff. How do I do this? Whatever. And, and it's more the anticipation of it. And then you get out there, and then you, it just all kind of goes away, and you're like, 
the la- I hosted la- last time I hosted uh, John Mulaney wrote my monologue and he put my first line was I'm so nervous because he knew I was going to be nervous <laughs> so I go I'm so nervous Bill shouts I'm so nervous <laughs> what was that like did you feel like the kid who was in college who was going back to high school for like the homecoming game I mean no it's more like you're uh, it's like going back home you know yeah. it's like your older brother's like hey squirt you know and you're right. like, hey man shut up you know it's like you immediately <laughs> go back to where you were when you started you know yeah. Where it's like, hey, how's it going? I've had some, you know, success and I'm doing all right, you know? And then someone's like, that wasn't funny. And you're like, yeah, no, no, you're right. It wasn't funny. I'll stop right now. <laughs> but you, when you go back, there's that day when the host is going through with the, uh, everyone's pitching them ideas, yeah. right? So you'd never been in the, the power seat position. No, I was in the power. Yeah, when I did that, and I actually got really nervous. It was very sweet because Lauren, we, you have a meeting with him. And then he says, okay, I'm going to bring everybody in. And I go, okay. And he goes... Are you ready? Because I had been in that meeting as the person sitting on the floor pitching an and idea. And the office is like from like there to the door. Super Maybe small. Maybe smaller. And we pile in and everybody's piled up on stuff. And I always had my spot was on the floor. And I would sit down and sometimes But, but for like awesome. five hours? No, it's, it's not that it, long? It's, long? No, I mean, you usually go like 30, 40 minutes or something oh. like that. But Laura Michaels goes like... You know, this is Natalie Portman, and we all go, ah, and we apply, and then he goes, all right, now, and he points to someone, and they go, yeah, so I had an idea where maybe we would do blank, and then he just goes around the room to everybody, and you have to have an idea, and uh, it, it was terrifying. <laughs> the best guy was J.B. Smooth as a writer when I started there, and he was the funniest guy on Monday pitch meetings, because <laughs> he'd be like, uh, yeah, so uh, I got an idea where uh, you got basketballs for eyes, Goes, you fall on your face, bounce right back up. <laughs> I remember one time for uh, for uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. He goes, uh, oh, one of his ideas was, uh, 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 and he had a little book, and he was going through the book, and he goes, uh, uh, and he would take his time. Everyone else, you want to get through, and he would, he would just slow it down. He go, uh, helicopter family, helicopter family. They walk like this. <laughs> uh, he goes, you're a guy uh, who used to work at a bank, but now you work at a deli, and no one likes it because you make the sandwiches like this. <laughs> and, and then the best one he did, the best JB was, and it, it's not, I don't know why it's funny, but Steve Martin was hosting, so Steve Martin's in the hot seat, and we're all kind of like, it's Steve Martin. And he goes, hey, Steve Martin, and we all kind of, we're all giggling because it's like, what's it going to be? And he's like... I got an idea where you're smoking an extra long cigarette. <laughs> just Steve Martin just looked at him like, okay. <laughs> and it just, the balls that he had, you know, I was up the night before going, oh, yeah. God, Steve Martin, my idea's got to be good. What's it going to be? And JB just didn't give a fuck. And he just went in there and I was like, wow, okay, I got to be able to get to that. So you only get to pitch one idea? or Sometimes people would pitch a couple or... Um, usually it's like if you wanted to lay claim to something that happened in the news yeah. or if it was like a holiday, I would say, oh, you know, I do Vincent Price. We were going to do a holiday thing. So, hey, just so you know, I'm doing a Halloween sketch. I'm do-, you know, that kind of tells the room, okay, there's going to be one of those. So if we're writing. Um, Fred Armisen used to play a joke where, where if there's something really terrible that happened in the news, like um, <laughs> like Albert Fritzl, that guy who raised a daughter and impregnated her or whatever, you know, oh, some and, terrible yeah. story. He, it would always be Colin. He'd be like, Colin wants to do something with Albert Fritzl, which I think is really uncool. 
And Colin Jost would be like, I did not, I do not want to do anything about it. So it's like, no, you were just saying, come on, man. I think it's fucked up, but he wants to do that. Anyway, like. <laughs> do you, do you, uh, you look back with some distance now in that cast? What's that? Because that cast was, I mean, in retrospect, like, yeah, loaded. Man. I a lot came of people in, went into a lot of stuff. Yeah, I came in. I started not just, like, like I started with Andy Samberg, Jason Sudeikis, and Kristen Wiig. Those were who I started with. Yeah. So we all showed up. That was your rookie day. class. That was our rookie class. And then Colin Joe started as a writer, and Brian Tucker, who's now the, one of the head writers, was there. We had a great year. Yeah, we were kind of just like, and the Lonely Island guys were the other writers. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Very lucky. You miss it a little bit. I miss the people there. I don't right. like you don't the, miss the, the fear. Yeah, I don't like going up, you know, just pitching stuff. And I mean, I already had it on the phone. I was talking to Eric Kenward, who's one of the producers there, and he goes, "Hey, you got any ideas?" And I pitched him some ideas, and it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And it's like, it all comes <laughs> back where you're like, "All right, well, fuck it." You know what? No, just forget, it. forget it. Forget it. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know why I want to do this anymore. Yeah, you know. And what, uh, yeah, what uh, what movies from that decade? You were in a few of the uh, Apatow comedies. Some yeah, was it Superbad? Was which the first ones do one. you get? Which one did people bring up to you the most? Superbad or uh, Pineapple Express? I was the guy at the beginning of Pineapple Express getting stoned. Um, <laughs> Trainwreck now is the other one that people like. Oh, that was nice, of you guys. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall has had a big cable. Oh it's yeah, on a lot. Oh yeah, Jason Segel's penis. You, you never know when you're flipping channels. Yeah, I never got to see the penis. At you. I never saw his penis. <laughs> so when you were thinking about, <laughs> no, no, never saw his penis. When you were, uh, when you were thinking about Barry and what you want to do with that, what lessons from? What was that? It was the sound of the phone ring. Uh, what it's lessons? The tiniest you band in Austin just played. <laughs> What lessons you learned from those 10 years that you incorporated in a berry? Well, um, so much because, uh, you know, on Saturday Night Live, I remember Chris Rock said, what do you, what do you want to do, man? And I go, I want to direct something. And he's like, if you've been on SNL, you can direct, you know, because you write the thing. And then when you're, if your sketch gets picked, you go and say, okay, so you go to the, all the department heads and you go to production and you say... Here's what the, sta- the you know the the set should look like, and here's what everybody should be dreading. You pick, you you cast it, you do all that stuff. The only difference is you get to work with a DP, a cinematographer, and um, so I felt really relaxed actually making Barry. You directed the first episode, the first three episodes I directed, and then and then uh, Maggie Carey, Hiro Mirai, and uh, Alec Berg directed the other three. The, Had you directed anything like on no? That, level? that was the whole reason I moved out to LA was to direct, and I right. finally got to direct, and that was fun. I fucked up because I I worked so hard in pre production on directing, and then I showed up and realized I didn't I hadn't made a choice on how to play Barry yet. Oh no! <laughs> on the first day, so like. Uh, you saw it, but it's a scene that takes place in a backyard where these guys are telling me my mission to kill yeah. a guy. And if you notice, I don't say anything really in that scene because I didn't know how to play the part. Right. So I was like, I don't think I need to say that line there. I think I could just, so I'm like, <laughs> it's me uh, not doing my actor homework. What, uh, what's the biggest thing you learned about directing from those first three episodes? Just keeping it simple. 
you know? Oh, Clint Eastwood style. Yeah, but even like, you know, it's it's kind of like what's the emotion that you're trying to get and know what comes before and what comes after and not try and let people do their jobs. You hired people for a reason yeah. on all counts. So it's let tell the DP, you know, I kind of see it this way and I like this. And if it's not right, then say something, but don't micromanage, you know, people don't work well that way. And just to, honestly, it, because it's my thing and I just know this from working on other things is uh, if you're, it's just kind of maintaining a cool attitude and being, uh, you know, in a, good mood and kind of light that sets the tone for everything so if i seem calm everyone else will be calm even though everything's going to shit right <laughs> you know um by the way this works in sports because you see this with coaches oh yeah especially in college basketball like there's coaches <laughs> that they're they're panicking in the last four minutes it's like that's not helping your players no john yeah. Kyle Perry. um yeah poor bastard yeah He'll do that from time to time. But no, it's like, if you could just be calm and hang out, because I always remember that as a PA, as an actor in anything, if you saw the director going like this, you went, oh, we're fucked. Like, what's happening? Right. Why, if he's freaked out, then what's going on, you know? So, what about Matt and Trey in the South Park? What'd you learn from those guys with this? Um, the structure, how to, write in the writer's room. So, like, Alec Berg and I, you know, we were the showrunners, and so it was us and you know, about, you know, four to five other writers. And it was how to run a writer's room, you know, which is kind of a, it's kind of a conversation between me and Alec and everybody else is kind of throwing in their two cents, you know, but that everything has to be kind of led by emotion. That was the thing I learned from Trey and Matt. So even if it was like, okay, Cartman has to like kill this guy and, and eat him or something, you know, is like, what's his emotion? What's he going through? <laughs> you know, what's the relatable thing, you know? And um, and everything has to be causal. That was a big thing with Trey and, and Matt, which was you can't say this happens. If you're doing outlining your show, your story, you can go, this happens and this happens and this happens. You have to say this happens, so therefore this happens, so therefore this happens, but then this happens, so now therefore this happens, you know? I went to dinner once with Matt and Trey and him, and at some point you... And uh, and Trey, you started doing this improv voice. Like you, you just went to some place, and I was like, I'm don't belong at this table. <laughs> I, like it was like because he 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 like loses it every once. We in a while. both start like, yeah, just got, acting crazy, and you're yeah. just like all of a sudden there was nine other people at the table, but there was really only four people there. And yeah, we were just doing all these we're bits. this whole group conversation. Oh, you should have seen when I was in the room when we came up with a PC principal because that was me talking about something, and we just started going like. <laughs> We were just like, it's like the frat, you know? Right. And, like, and it was like, wee, wee. It was like, hey, that is not cool. You cannot, you know, we were just yeah. doing this thing. And then it became this character. But watching him do PC Principal made me laugh so hard. And anytime they do, the hardest I laughed in that room was when we did this uh, Canadian, um, any of the Canadian stuff made me laugh the hardest. Right. Uh, it was a Canadian um, sex ed video. I don't know if you saw that episode, but it, it was like, if you're watching this video, that means you're going through puberty. <laughs> he goes, you might be noticing differences in your body. For instance, when you fart, your dick gets hard. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, here's how babies are born. And it's like, the man takes out his penis. The woman has a vagina. Then she puts her vagina on the man's face and queefs. That's how babies are born. <laughs> and then he goes, what? That's not how babies are born? They want my wife queefing my face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we would do that 
for like five hours. Just walking around going, well, my wife came in my face. Hey, why'd you creep in my face? And then his wife and like, I was just being silly. And we just do those voices. And Ann Garofino, the producer, just leaves because... Like, I'm just going to hear queef in my face for the next five hours. Were you, uh, were you worried about those guys at all? Because like, I did a pod with them last year when they were coming off the season that when Trump got elected. Oh, yeah. And they were in a dark place with just how it had all played out. Yeah, I, mean, I was in the room after the election, and it was just kind of like, well, God, what do you do? You have this guy in there. What do you they do? They had to, like, re... Did they have to scrap the show and redo it? Like within? I don't know about that. I just know that it was a bit like, well, you know, SNL is going. Satire is just kind of hard, I guess, right now because you have, you know, it's it's a there's a whole thing called a hat on a hat, which means you put a joke on a joke. Right. I was the king of that. Like I would be like, I'm doing Peter Falk teaching people how to do Star Wars impressions. Right. And then people were like, No, that's like a joke on another joke. So. Doing satire on Trump is like a hat on a hat. It's like this joke on a joke, and so it's it's just difficult. Yeah, it seems like the best the best impressions are always like a piece of who you're making fun of, but then like the distorted, crazy version. Yeah, of it. and that's usually when it works the best. You know, it's been fun. I think South Park and obviously SNL done well. You know, also is the Onion has yeah. been really funny with Trump. They really make me laugh. The the Mueller, the Robert Mueller. They had one that was like Robert Mueller eats. Eats five n- chicken nuggets in one sitting to get into Trump's head. <laughs> it's just Robert Mueller, like looking at like it's like it's like five twenty-piece nuggets or whatever, just looking at this chicken nugget. And oh my god, that made me laugh. Quick break to talk about Suze. March Madness is coming. That means you're going to spend an insane amount of time watching TV on a sofa. It might even be an uncomfortable sofa. You might even like get a little sore after a while. Why not? Tr- up to Suze, the world's leading on-demand massage service. They can deliver a hand-selected, highly skilled massage therapist to your home, hotel, or office in as little as an hour, maybe even right after the final game on Sunday night. It's so simple. Download the Soothe app or go to Soothe.com. Choose the kind of massage you want. Swedish sports, deep tissue, even a couple's massage. Maybe we can get a couple's massage for the One Shiny Podcast, guys. Set the length of your massage, whether that's 60, 90, or 120 minutes. Select the gender of your therapist and you're done. They're available from 8 a.m. to midnight. They bring everything. The massage table, linens, oils, music. Available in over 55 cities across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. You can relax anytime, anywhere. If you busted your bracket, don't take it out on the TV. Keep calm with a Soothe massage. Download Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E, and enter the code BILL. That's my name, B-I-L-L, to get $25 off your first. Massage. Let's go back to me and Bill Hader, live, not really, from Austin, Texas. What did you learn uh, from Apatow that you used for Barry? Um, I think it was just that, that um, looseness and trying to find, just le- letting things be, especially in the writer's room, letting the emotion play the way it needs to go. Like not Again, it's kind of like not trying to micromanage stuff. Um, for instance, there's a, there's a part in the movie or in the show where Barry, this doesn't ruin too much, but Barry uh, hooks up with somebody and he, he, uh, and he gives that person, he notices her laptop's broken and so he gives her a laptop um, the day after they sleep with each other. And I go, 
And the guys in the room, we were like, hey, that's a nice thing. You know, he gives her her laptop. And all the female writers were like, that's creepy as fuck. (laughs) They were like, if I slept with a guy and he brought me a laptop, I'd be like, what is this? (laughs) No. And we went, oh. And then we had to rethink it, and we were, went, oh, no, keep it that way. Actually, that makes it really interesting. Okay, no, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's like letting right. it be what it wants to be instead of, like, no, I had this idea, and so we have to keep it that way, you know. Um, you developed the show for a while. Yeah, I had How a deal. How long was the process? I found out I had a deal on the set of Trainwreck. So I was on the set of Trainwreck, and my agent called me and said, so hey. Like 2015. 2014. Yeah. Yeah, and then so we wrote it, pitched it. Shot the pilot in 2016, shot the show in 2017. So the pilot that was the pilot I watched last night was a year earlier. Two years ago, yeah. Because I noticed your hair looked a little different in the second one. Yeah, fuck off, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit different. Go go fuck yourself. (laughs) No, you know what it is, too, is there's a scene with me and Henry Winkler at the end where I'm talking to him and he's in his car. Yeah. And that was my half was totally reshot. So when you see him in the car, that's 2016 and me is 2017, 16, 17. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So what, what was the biggest hurdle to get over in the development process? Nothing. It was just, you know, HBO just had a lot of shows. So it was just uh, kind of like... Just waiting your turn. We just were waiting our turn. But it was... Uh, and they were just cool. Like the fact that I came in and pitched the show with Alec and we... You know, we just are talking, like I said, just talking about, um, yeah, it's like Travis Bickle and, uh, you know, you're talking about Taxi Driver and Unforgiven when you're pitching a 30-minute comedy. Yeah. Most places would say leave. Um, But they had seen me in this movie, The Skeleton Twins, and they liked that. They liked the kind of... the vibe of it. They liked uh, me playing like a dramatic, a dramedy type thing they were into. How many people in the room know what Henry Winkler is the most famous for, just out of curiosity? Um... Okay. Man, God. Because when I was a kid, Henry Winkler was... Scream. Oh, oh Scream, fuck yeah. <laughs> no, I forgot he was in Scream. When I was a kid, he was the most famous person in the in world. In the world. For like I don't know years. if anybody realizes that he was the and most the famous person, person in the world. And the coolest person in the world, which seems improbable He now. was tall. Yeah, I know. You meet him now and he's like, hello. Oh, my, that man stepped on me, you know? And, right. But he, he's so sweet and um, he's very... Uh, um, he's just a great guy, and he's very, uh, he's, he's just, he, he, on set, he's so great and gracious with the actors, you know? He always comes up to him and goes, I saw what you did there. That was beautiful. Oh, you know, he's just a very sweet man. Because when, uh, like, I think about now, if you ask somebody who's the coolest person alive now, you get 50 different choices, yeah. right? In Back 1977, then, I think anyone under 12 would be like, the fonts. Without a doubt. Yeah, even though I was born in 1978. Plus, like, sorry, Bill Burn. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I'm sorry I, I said fuck at... you to or said scream. I that I'm sorry. I'll give you some money. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was looking at Wiki- Wikipedia to see how many people watch Happy Days once, and it was like 35 million people per episode, a couple years. He's just. Is it like, we had like three channels back then? What the hell? Yeah, were I know. It's like Happy Days was a very important show, and now there's content left and right. And well, if it wasn't for peak TV, all the TV shows I'm involved with would not exist because all my stuff's so weird. You know, it's like this documentary now. They wouldn't exist without, you know, 
a ton of TV shows on. Yeah, it. let's talk about documentary now. How many how many seasons are we up to? Well, we're we're talking about a third season right now, so we're. Trying What's to... your favorite one so far? Pick one. I like the Spalding Gray one we did because we came. Me and John Mulaney, the one where I was the mono, the monologist in the second season. I think because John Mulaney and I, we got like this scheduling snafu happened where we had to make an episode. We had to write and make an episode in like forty eight hours, and we came up with that episode in forty eight hours and did it and. 48 hours later, it was fully done. So a lot of the actors in that episode, they auditioned and then immediately went to set and did wow. their part. So they're all a little like, I just went in for an audition. They're like, you're great. You need to go to this place right now. And they went, oh, okay. And so it was uh, madness. Are but, you amused by what's happened with John Mulaney over the course oh, of this I love decade? It. I love it. Because when you invited me to an SNL show, it was like 2010, and he had written Stefan. Yeah, you were and, at the very first Stefan show. Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, that's the guy who wrote Stefan. He's a great writer. He does stand-up, too. And he was like, he was very mellow. And I'm like, oh, Yeah, and really? I go, he's okay. going to be a giant. I just was like, this guy's the yeah, funniest was like, human right. on the planet. And then eight years later, he's he, co-hosting the Independent Spirit Awards. Well, he just and, sold out Radio City Music Hall. Like, like for four days, right? Yeah, it was insane. He's one of the greatest guys in the world. How many people do you think write for that show that are thinking, this is my gateway to actually do this? I don't know. And it's funny because I look back, it's, you know, Hannibal Burris wrote when I was there, and, you know, a lot of people did. Like just that J.B. Smoove wrote yeah, there. J.B. Smoove was, so ri- was writing there, yeah. And he just made me laugh super hard, and then we could never do his ideas. <laughs> <clears throat> he also did a guy doing a drive by in a snowstorm <laughs> where you go, break yourself. Break yourself. <laughs> he would just do that in the writer's room and I'd be on the floor laughing. I just kind of butchered it. He could do it really well. But. Have you noticed any trends in comedy that you don't like as this I decade goes like, along? I don't know. I kind of I think people I don't are more watch. tight. What? People a little more tight? I don't know. I don't really, it's weird. I kind of, I don't pay attention to stuff as much as I should, you know? I like that show, Nathan, for you. I thought that show was funny. Yeah, that's. Um, I like Detroiters. My friend Tim Robinson does that show. But yeah, I mean, I don't really watch a lot or pay attention to You still watch SNL? Not really, no. I don't, the music starts and I'll be like. Oh, you're just. Yeah, I just, uh, but I like, I, I watch clips, you know? But also, I have like three little kids, and I'm like now that person that's like asleep at nine forty-five. You know, let's talk about oh, that. Everyone's leaving. Oh. <laughs> what have you learned from having three little kids? Oh man, like uh, oh, it's a it's good comedy good. audience, right? Yeah, they'll yeah, laugh yeah, at yeah. anything as they'll long laugh as there's at anything. A, it's a fart joke or yeah, yeah, there's yeah some go-to uh, moves with kids. Yeah, but yeah, just farts. Even when kids are just before they even know. Like when they're just babies, they'll fart and start laughing. So you're just like, oh, okay. So it's just there from the beginning. And, um, no, I love it. You know, I mean, um, I mean, some of the stuff in Barry. I think I don't think Barry would be so kind of like emotional of a show or kind of examine this guy. You know, it's like you get older. You know, like when I was in my early twenties, we liked you know just really crazy punk rock humor and and you know fucking with the form and all this stuff and kind of crazy zucker brothers style stuff and i still love that it's not against that but as you get older you 
you know, bad things happen to you or people you care about and you start to have more empathy towards things and you start kind of realizing things about yourself and things like that. And so you, um, it finds its way into your work, you know, and I think having children, um, and you know, you're like, God, I got to be alive for this thing, you know, and I've never loved anything as much as these, uh, three, uh, children. And I just, uh, uh, God, if anything happened to you guys, I don't know if what I do, you know, it's that, that you suddenly have these uh, feelings. And so it was like, oh, that starts to end up in the show, whether you know it or not, because it's just who you, who you are now. The acting class is a good device for a TV show and a movie. Because yeah. you can go a lot of ways, and there's a couple people in there who are always way too terrible. And so yeah. you can have these moments. Like, I, I always felt it was kind of underexploited. Yeah, it's also like therapy. I don't know if anybody's ever been in an acting class, but when you take acting classes, people just really want to overshare, like, immediately. (laughs) Right. And for a guy who's, like, trying to hide his identity, who murders people, it's a funny position for him to be in because the minute you walk in, people just kind of go, hi, my name's so-and-so, and and this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know? And um, so, yeah. Yeah, the... uh, I don't know how long the acting class gimmick goes... Yeah. Does it go through all the first season? Yeah. Because the part I was excited about was obviously they grabbed different movie speeches. Yeah. You could have like somebody doing Amelia Westevez's Breakfast Club. Yeah. Well, that, the problem like, we found out with that was that we went to all these acting classes in LA and they only do scenes from movies. Yeah. They don't do theater. It was kind of, and we went to a, we watched these guys do a scene from Training Day and a guy went, so I'm playing Denzel, and he's going to play Ethan Hawke. And we were like, those aren't the characters' names. Those are the... <laughs> like, the script doesn't say Denzel Washington, the actor, who I guess is also a crazy cop. So, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, you would watch, you know, that. Um, but, yeah, I, it became really expensive, so oh, like, do you have to do you have to get the rights? Yeah, to even it's like licensing a clip. Yeah, so I mean, we used a scene from Magnolia in the pilot, kind of solely because it was <clears throat> wasn't as expensive as the other one we had written. No offense to Magnolia, and I asked Sarah Goldberg, the actress. I said, "What's a scene that people usually do?" And she goes, "Well, Julianne Moore flipping out in the pharmacy in Magnolias because it gives the people a chance to like have a breakdown and right cry." Um, what about James Gum? Oh man, I love James Gum. You can't. Can you get the rights to James Gum for a scene? Would Barry do James Gum? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay, potentially. Somebody in the class could do it. I don't know. I'm basically setting. You want I'm me to do James Gum right now? <laughs> it's his favorite thing I do. Is it James. really is? I'm you know who that is? That's the bad guy from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and we did a sketch once on the show that never made it. it was I did Jamie- do it. It was a Jamie Gum talk show. <laughs> hey, how you doing? It's a Jamie Gum talk show. And he, and he, the, the thing was that he was so chill and kind of a great dude. <laughs> like, the joke was that the guests were kind of freaked out, but he was just like, and then uh, how'd that go, man? How, was that fun? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, no, I, I did that. And it's like, hey, that's cool. Well... <laughs> I love that movie. Like, he wasn't creepy at all. And then his co-host was the girl in the well, so it was just a shot of the well with a voice. Like, our first guest is... And it was just a shot of a well. Um, and they, uh, that was deemed weird. 
I, I also did a Chris Hansen one. That one got on to John and oh, yeah. Rich wrote, where it was Chris Hansen talk show. Uh, you know, the guy to catch a predator guy. Yeah. And it was uh, uh, like a Conan, you know, Conan, like late night talk show set. But in our first guest, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Sudeikis comes out as Philip Seymour Hoffman, but there's no host there. And he walks in and no one's there. <laughs> and there's a plate of cookies on the desk. And he goes there and get a plate of cookies, and it cuts to that high-wide shot, like, in The Catch a Predator. And he eats the cookies, and I would come out as Chris Hansen. I'm like, can I get you a glass of milk? <laughs> no, no, no. We're just going to talk. So what are you here for? I'm, uh, I'm promoting a movie. Oh, you, you made a movie. What's the movie about? <laughs> that was one of my favorite... Can I get you a glass of milk? It was one of my favorite. What was the guy, the guy Keith from NBC? Oh, Keith Morrison, yeah, he's my yeah, favorite kinda, guy. You kind of oh. ruined that guy a little bit. Because he's still on TV, and every time I see him, I think of your impression of him. Yeah, the sing-song kind of oh. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we used to do a thing. He goes, the other one time he went, but then there was that DNA. Oh, that pesky DNA. <laughs> Like, you got to know, you're just like... And these are people who lost loved ones. Like, you right. imagine them wanting like, that's my dad you're talking about. Right. One time he said, uh, this woman was like, my husband went missing, and uh, they found his car out in the woods, and they popped the trunk, and they looked in the... And, and he was inside, and Keith Morrison said, was he all right? <laughs> Like, no, he wasn't all right. He was dead. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, that's terrible. Was there anyone from the last five years that you're like, shit, I wish I was still on SNL? Oh, that, yeah, I'm that sure. That could be a Somebody. wheelhouse. Oh, man, I don't know. Break I'm it sure. out next week. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's always somebody that we kind of, I don't know. It's It's always week by week, too. I mean, it's never like a... I, I rarely would, you would rarely hold on to a thing. Anytime you would try to pre-plan, like even right now, people are like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I mean, you you, you show up and, I, you know, I always knew as a as a cast member, you kind of didn't like it when someone showed up with like an arsenal of stuff and they're yeah. like, I'm going to do with this, I'm going to do with this. And then this person's coming in and you would, as a cast member, you go, well, I'll be over here, you know, and right. you just kind of not do anything and... uh so I kind of like the the sensibility of the show is different from when I was on, and that's cool. It's like a different comedic sensibility. So you kind of want to just fit in there and go with them, you know. What was the runner-up title for Barry? What was your second choice? What was I the know. one you really wanted? But they there wasn't you one. It was Mike Lombardo, and the medium was like, "Oh, you should call it Barry." And, and I that went, was it. And I went, "All right." I I don't think about this shit, man. <laughs> I just kind of was like, "Oh, that's cool." Right on. <laughs> And they're like, that might be a dumb title. And I'm like, oh, it is? Okay. Well, do you want to do another one? No? Okay. <laughs> and they just gave me a, a show. I mean, I'm an idiot. We, uh, they were like, is it about Barack Obama? And I'm like, no. We're going to take some questions. We have the, the microphone. Uh-oh. Yeah, this will get, this could get lively quickly. Uh, raise your hand if you have a question. Nobody has a question? There's one in the back. You guys can ask us anything. Yeah, seriously, we're right here. Hey, so my name's John Mark Junkins. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, famously gets into method and does a lot of crazy stuff for his roles. 
What's the weirdest thing LeBron James did for? Oh, mm. yeah, I like it. Yeah, he. Uh, LeBron was awesome. He was so laid back. I mean, he just was kind of chill and just hanging out, and and um, he loved the idea that he was cheap. <laughs> I go, what if you were cheap? And he goes, what do you mean? Like, we were sitting there shooting the scene. I go, what if it was just, like, you were cheap? Like, you split the check. And he, he just started laughing. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> like, you could just say shit to him, and, and he would just go for it. And when we do this scene, we're playing one-on-one. Um, Chris Rock was on set. So Chris Rock was shouting out shit for him to say. Like his whole thing about like, then you'll meet her and then you'll buy her a nail salon and you'll do that. Like, oh, that's Chris Rock. Wow. And that was nerve wracking, man, having to play basketball with LeBron James. I didn't. You I guys didn't. still hang out? No. <laughs> I mean, we, I got to go to Akron and we went to Akron and, you know, he's like the king of that place. Well, he's the king, I guess, you know, but we went to Akron and, and, um, and walked around and went to his favorite burger place. And well, he knew you were a Thunder fan. He's yeah, probably yeah, kept yeah. his distance with you. Yeah, he didn't give a shit. He's like, well, we beat him, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but but he, he, was very, uh, he was very sweet and very cool. And it was one moment we were in Akron, we were just hanging out with his friends because his best friends are his friends from high school. I mean, that's who he hangs out with. And there was just a moment where, like, we're all hanging out, and his wife was like... Um, hey, do you, you want to get another speaker and we'll have like a little dance party here at this after party that we had for Trainwreck? And he was like, okay. And then the guys were like, hey, LeBron, can you also pick up this and this and this? And he was like, yeah, 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 okay. Wait, what, wait, what do I have to get again? And it was just like, you know, anybody. You know, right. I was like, pick this up, pick up that. And they were calling him and making him do all these runs. So he showed up with like a speaker, but also like, you know, soda and this and that and some aspirin for this guy or whatever. What else do we have? Anybody out there? No one gives a shit. (laughs) Any questions? I know. When Stefan got popular, was ever a consideration of a Stefan movie? And did you ever brainstorm any ideas for one? No, me and um, John Mulaney, they talked to us about it. And then John John and I were kind of not really into the idea, I think. Who's they? Um, like like Paramount and stuff. And not like they didn't say, we want to make one. And Lauren Michaels wasn't like, you have to make one. It was kind of like, if you wanted to make one, I'm sure we could do that. And, you know, what do you guys think? And we, I remember I was just like, it didn't work as a sketch. Yeah. That's why it's on update, because the sketch made no sense. Yeah. So I don't know how you make a movie out of that. And um, the reason people like it is because John makes me laugh during it. Um, so. What was the funniest thing he put into the card that you didn't know was coming? Oh, there was one every, time that everything. he destroyed you. Oh, when he's a Jewish Dracula was the one that destroyed you. <laughs> when he said, you know, this is Blackula, the black Dracula. Well, you know, they have a Jewish Dracula. And Seth Meyers knew what the thing was, but I didn't. And he said, oh, what is it? What's his name? And I said, Sidney Applebaum. <laughs> and I laughed for like 20 minutes. And then one time he put Spud Webb in all the clubs and didn't tell me. Yeah. And then the last time he put Dan Cortez in all the clubs and he didn't tell me. And one time he said a kid had knees like biscuits. <laughs> so you're reading the cue cards and you have no idea he's no, stuck and these in. No, the fling flips over and it says he has knees like biscuits. And I just went... <laughs> 
And it, the funny thing is, like, as I'm walking out there, people are laughing. The cue car guys are laughing. Everyone is laughing. That's what no one sees is that everyone's laughing. People on the other side of the cue cards laughing. You know, but whatever. Sandberg's like, it's an act. And I don't know. What else? Do we have anybody else out there? Oh, we have a hand up here. Hi. Um, who is your all-time favorite character from SNL that you didn't play? Oh, they um, didn't play. Interesting. Yes. Uh, probably unfrozen caveman lawyer, Phil Hartman. <laughs> and I love deep thoughts. Whereas um, Alec Berg and I actually were just doing a bit of deep thoughts. Uh, we were texting because we they 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 put us apart, and so we were texting deep thoughts to each other. <laughs> and. Um, uh, he said, uh, I bet the main reason the police keep people away from a plane crash is they don't want anybody walking in and lying down in the crash stuff. <laughs> then when somebody comes up, act like they just woke up and go, what was that? <laughs> I mean, those are the funniest uh, free Dummy was our favorite one, which is if you ever fall off the Sears Tower, just go limp like a dummy and someone will catch you. Because, <laughs> hey, Free Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> but Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer was the hardest. That was the thing that had unlocked my brain in some way of what you could do in sketch comedy, where it was this weird combination of a weird concept idea, but it also had a great performance by Phil Hartman in it. You know? Good theme song. Yeah. Everything. They probably only did like three. Yeah. Yeah. They only made a couple. He's like, your world frightens and confuses me. (laughs) All that shit just made me laugh. Anybody else? Oh. And there's someone over there too. Hey, down here. Uh, I was wondering what the first idea you pitched when you uh, started SNL. Oh, the very first pitch meeting, very first thing I pitched to Steve Carell that he would play Bobby Flay in Iron (laughs) Chef. And that he would get electrocuted. Because I worked as, a, as an assistant editor on Iron Chef, and Bobby Flay got electrocuted. And it was my favorite piece of footage, because he grabs a thing, he grabs this thing, and he just goes, Bip! and he just drops. <laughs> He's like doing all this stuff, and he just goes, <laughs> Like one of those things where you're like, he probably shit himself. Like it was just, and we, we were like, did you see this? And we just kept playing it over and over again and slowing it down. And like, we were like, oh, man. He was like, oh! <laughs> yeah. Who else is out there? Is this one? This um, is, I have a question. Who are you most intimidated by? Like, doesn't have to be a famous person, even. But, like, who in your life are you most intimidated by? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um... I don't know. It's interesting. I still have the kind of relationship, and they're wonderful, very warm people. But like when you were a freshman, how you always think the seniors are always kind of intimidated by the seniors. So anytime I see Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or Seth Meyers or, you know, Fred even to an extent, I'm always like, can I get that for you? Can I, you know. <laughs> uh, they're always, You're you like know, the rookie. I'm always the rookie around those well, guys. You said like if-, if we're around Steve Martin and Marty Short, I'm more comfortable around them than I am if like Tina Fey's there. I'm always like, oh, was that funny or you know? And I want to make it very clear: they're not that way to me. They're just normal, nice people. It's my own. I'm just a rookie to them. 
You said the, the scene in Barry when he leaves the acting class and goes to get beers and he's super uncomfortable around them was yeah. based on you and Amy and Tina, right? Well, me going to like a bar and you would go to a bar with all these people like, you know, and Parnell and it's same thing with Parnell, Rachel Dratch, any of those people, Daryl Hammond, anytime I see any of them, I'm so kind of uh, immediately a freshman, you know, Um and yeah, I just so badly wanted to fit in there, you know. And they were perfectly nice to me. I just was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and also, to be honest, my eight-year-old daughter—I'm super intimidated by her. She's just way too smart. Hmm. Anybody else? A couple. This more person's there. been super, super. Yes. Well, first you owe me money. <laughs> okay, give her the microphone okay, back. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking help you out. You throw it in my face. Give her the fucking money. No. Do you prefer drama or comedy? I kind of like them both, you know? I never see it that way, drama or comedy. I kind of just see it as a story, you know? And you kind of, you do the story and sometimes it's funny or sometimes it's dramatic. I kind of feel like if something's all of one and I don't enjoy it as much, you know? I kind of like a combination, you know? Because um, I just kind of feel like that's how... When you're trying to figure out the truth of a thing, you know, like there's, I've been in very awful situations where something really funny happens. You know what I mean? I think we all have, or you're in a funny thing and then suddenly something really terrible happens and everyone now you're in a new mode, you know? It's, uh, those are the parts in life I think I'm the most interested in. And, and those are the kind of books I like. I like, you know, George Saunders is a writer. He's so beautiful at doing that stuff, you know, of, of writing these stories that'll, that'll, um, that ride that so well. Tobias Wolf's another guy I really like. And so anyway. Anybody and you're getting else? no money. Oh, wait, a couple. This guy. Oh, wait, with him? Yeah. Oh. Ah, uh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> no, give it, you can give it to him after. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can only, I can't see over there. Yeah, so. it's hard to see. Um, so I was just wondering, like, as a dad, how do you, how do you, give your kids perspective about you being famous and like that not everyone's dad is famous. What is they don't like? give a shit. I mean, they really don't care. How do you like expose them? To well, they'll work? see the billboards of me up on the, in, in, uh, in LA right now. There's like the, there's like these giant billboards of me everywhere. And they're just like, Ugh. <laughs> and I go, and my five-year-old, I'm like, Hey, look at that billboard. There's your dad, you know? And she goes, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took him to go see uh, Finding Dory. Okay, so they saw me in Clyde with Chance of Meatballs, and I'm like, that's dad. And they were like, we don't want to watch this movie anymore. <laughs> and then I took him to go see Finding Dory, and I'm in the very beginning of that movie, and my voice came out, my five year old just stood up and walked out of the theater. <laughs> and I went out, and she was kind of like, uh, like, dude, you should tell me you're in this thing. You can't just spring that on me while we're in the theater. But I kind of get it. Like, if my dad showed up in the Millennium Falcon, I'd be fucking terrified. Yeah. It's like, hey, Chewie, Han, Bill Sr., how are you? <laughs> hey, guys, whoa, whoa, I don't want to get in the way here. I know you guys are doing stuff, but Bill Sr., I'll be over here. <laughs> you know, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't, they could give a shit. And, like, their friends will be like, oh, I saw your dad in a thing, and... They're like, okay. I, when good. they get older, they, get, they actually get legit mean. Yeah. 
My twelve-year-old daughter is like, just so throw a barber every once in a while. Just cut your soul. No, it really that, does. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, shut up, Dad. You don't even play basketball anymore. And you're like, like hey, oh, Jesus, shut up. Well, uh, well uh, you're dumb. You know, no, I don't know, but yeah, you can't really fire back at your kids. You I can't. No, my five-year-old. She's a, the oldest. Got her. The tooth fairy came and. The, the the eight-year-old guy, the tooth fairy came, and then I go, hey, the, you know, tooth fairy came last night, and her, the five-year-old went, wait, someone was in our house? <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, the tooth fairy came, and she's like, so someone's just in a house while I'm sleeping. I'm like, I'm on the bottom bunk, and she's on the top bunk, and you guys are just cool with that. <laughs> like, that's fucking weird. They're just not into it. And I try to get him to watch stuff. I try to get, well, get him to watch the Goonies, and they were like, "This looks old." <laughs> and they just want to watch like these mermaid shows on Netflix, where it's like from Australia. That's like, we got to get back to the water. <laughs> uh, the time's almost up, you know, like these things. And I'm like, wait, oh, none of them are in the YouTube stage yet, right? No, but they did watch... That's a dark stage. Some kids showed him Stefan, uh, my oldest oh. daughter, Stefan, and she was like, these kids at school showed me this thing where you were, like, covering your mouth, and, and I was like, yeah, it's a character I play called Stefan, and she went, all right, and the, guy, and she went, and the other guy, that's your boyfriend? And I went, yeah, that's my boyfriend, and she went, all right, well, <laughs> that's cool. And I was like, so what's the story with you guys? <laughs> I was like, well, he's the guy in the news, and I was supposed to do this. And then she goes, and then you guys like became a couple. And I was like, yes, we actually got married. And she was like, oh, that's cool. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah, it was just a normal conversation. Anybody else out there? Well, that dude I took. Oh, yeah, that guy. Me. He's been waiting. Uh, were there any non-comedic hosts on SNL that you thought would have made great writers full-time? Oh, uh, J- John Hamm was really funny. When John Hamm would host, we always were like, wow, geez, John's really funny. Uh, Bieber. Fuck Bieber. <laughs> that was my least favorite host was Justin Bieber, and I, have no, I'm, I've, I don't talk shit about anybody publicly ever except Justin Bieber. He was such a... He was, he was very rude to people. I think he's in a better place now. I hope so, because when he hosted, he was, I just was like, why is he being so rude to people? Um... Let me try to think. Um, Ham. Who? Oh, well, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, he was really funny. And Timberlake would just show up with nobody. These people would show up with, like, tons. That was the thing with Bieber had, like, a giant entourage with him. Yeah. Like, he had more people than Obama when Obama came. Like, he had more. (laughs) And remember one time he didn't, like, he had, like, a guy who held his pizza, and he had a guy that held, like, a Diet Coke and all that stuff. And at one point, he didn't like the... Because you have to do a quick change. And this Donna, would, she would do a quick change where she takes your, you know, changes your next costume. You got, like, 30 seconds. And Justin was like, I don't like you touching me. What are you doing? Like, like he didn't like her grabbing him or whatever. And the guy who held the pizza, and he went, Justin, Justin, she's just trying to change your clothes. <laughs> 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 the entourage thing is funny though because I like when people come over to do podcasts with me it's always funny who just shows up solo like Kurt Russell was like the solo, best dude by ever. himself he's like I'm just here 
Smelled of cigarettes. It was 10 in the morning. Yeah. It was like everything I wanted from Kurt Russell. Man, Kurt Russell, I saw him at a Christmas party and fully just geeked out. I was like, dude, The Thing is like one of my favorite movies. And he was like, oh, man, I want to tell you some shit about that. And he just started telling me things, stories. And J.J. Abrams was there. I'm doing so many name drops, sorry. But then J.J. Abrams just came over and was like, wait, what? And we both were like, he was just telling us things, stories. And we're like, ah. It was rad. But yeah, um... Ham, Timberlake just shows up by himself and can kind of just do anything and you throw anything at him and he could do it. The people um, that come in by themselves and just try to fit in are always the heroes. Yeah, they kind of are the ones that you kind of feel really like, oh, they get it. You know, uh, Franco was kind of that way. Uh, mm. You know, Anne Hathaway was that way a bit. Um, Scarlett Johansson was that way. Scarlett Johansson would just be hanging out and be like, what do you guys want me to do? Okay. Um, mm. You know. Anyone else out there? Or should we wrap it up? Let's see. Oh, you got one more? All right, let's take one more. Any uh, good Amy Schumer stories from shooting Trainwreck? <laughs> no, I mean, we just, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like the longest uh, tour of our lives. Like, we just, we went to Australia, we went to, we went everywhere. Um, the thing I think of... <laughs> That Amy did was the first time I met her and her sister. We I auditioned for the movie, and then we went to the girls' three premiere party in New York. And um, I we watched the show, and we're sitting there, and I'm and Amy and I are kind of chatting, and she's like, "So, basically, it was it was like I'd done my callback, and it was essentially like I think I got the movie. You know, Judd Apatow made us go have a date together, and he watched us. Seriously? Yeah, it was awful." <laughs> Right. Amy and I are like, so was you're he just like gonna... the waiter, or was he? No, yeah, he was table? like, "Why, hello? <laughs> so, what are you guys doing? Uh, specials today?" <laughs> and that became a Netflix special, and yeah, all of that. there was. But no, but he said, um, he's, you know, he said, "I want to see how you guys interact with each other." So he took us to this restaurant and made us. Uh, like just talk to each other and we were just looking and he's just sitting there looking at us while we ate and kind of just looked at him and it was so bizarre. I hope he doesn't do that with his daughters. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah. Easy, buddy. Hey. Um, But Amy and I, so we kind of was like, I think I got the part. I was feeling like I did, but I hadn't officially gotten. So we were chatting and it was a really nice thing. We had this really awesome kind of getting to know you talk. And then when I went up to put on my... um, Coat. I felt like my coat was really heavy, and I didn't know why. And then when I walked out, I realized she and her sister had put all the silverware in my, my coat. So I got caught. Like, I was trying to steal all the silverware. They played a practical joke on me. It was really funny. We're wrapping this up. Uh, check out Barry. It's really good. Ah, and thanks. I think it's a, a fun little next step for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's really good. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for coming out. Really appreciate it. All right, that's it. Thanks uh, to Bill Hader, and thanks to everybody at Vox for setting that up. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to One Shining Podcast. Don't forget to download them this week and watch all the stuff they do at Ringer on Instagram, on Twitter, and a whole bunch of other places. Thanks later in the week with two podcasts and also shoot mention. The Rewatchables is coming back this week. We did Creed, and it's almost two hours, and it's, and it's really good. 
goes in a lot of lot of directions. So I think we're putting that up on Tuesday. Uh, be ready for that one. Thanks for listening.